The following resource is from DesiringGod.org. So I hope you have a Bible on your phone, because we're going to look at Philippians, and I want to draw you into new things I've seen in the last week. I was doing a look at the book on Philippians 4, almost done with Philippians, in look at the book, and I saw a connection between something in chapter 4 and something in chapter 1 that I'd never seen before, and I want you to see it as well. So that's where we're going. So if I were to give you a title for this, it wouldn't exactly be the one that was advertised, though that'll work. <laughs> we, we can accomplish both. My new title would be The Secret of Christ-Magnifying Contentment as the Path to Costly Love. Now, that's long and complicated. It has three centers. It has three centers. One, making much of Jesus, Christ-magnifying. Two, contentment, happiness, joy, cravings of our heart. And three, love for people. So, Christ-magnifying contentment as the path to costly love. That's, that's the title that I thought of as the summary of the new thing I've seen in Philippians. So we need to see what that is. And there's going to be some time for Q&A at the end, I think, hope. And so if you have questions along the way, jot them down and we'll, we'll see if we can get to them. So I'm going to try to answer the question, what's your ultimate reason for existence? Or you could be specific and say, what's the ultimate reason you work for the company you work for, whether VMware or wherever you're tuning in from? Why are you here? What's your ultimate purpose? And the answer to that comes from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. I'm going to start outside Philippians and, and then lock into Paul's argument in Philippians. So Colossians 1.15 says, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for all things were created through him and for him. You were created through and for Jesus. He made you. And you exist for him. Now what does for him mean? That's an ambiguous phrase. For Christ. Made for Christ. I could make a crutch for me. Right? I made this crutch. I built it. I'm a carpenter. I made it for me. Meaning, I need a crutch to get around. That's not the way he made you. He doesn't need you. He didn't make you for a crutch to lean on. He didn't make you to supplement his power. He made you to show his power. So, for Christ means for Christ display. Every facet of the diamond of the glory of Christ is to shine off of his world, his creation, his people. So, that text, all things, including you, were created through him and for him is the answer to the ultimate reason why you exist. You exist... So that by the way you work, by, the way, by your leisure, by your church involvement, by the way you eat and drink, everything you do is to make Jesus look like what he is. 
infinitely valuable, infinitely beautiful, glorious, great. That's your job. Your reason for being at this company is for the glory of Christ, for Christ. He made you for Christ. Now, let's go to Philippians chapter 1 from Colossians chapter 1. And start at chapter 1, verse 20. Now, this is, this is a part that I've seen and spoken on, I don't know, a hundred times. This is not the new part. What's new is how it's going to lock into chapter 4 in just a minute. So we're going to pick up the argument, namely, how does what Paul said in Colossians 1.15 about my existing for the glory of Christ relate to contentment? Relate to love. And so we're, we're starting a pilgrimage now through Philippians to answer that question. So here we are, chapter 1, verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope. I hope you can say the same thing. It is your eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be, now the ESV says, honored. The... Um, Megalunthesetai, I love that Greek word, Megalunthesetai, you can hear the word mega, right? Megalunthesetai means, so a good, good English echo would be magnified, made great. So that's the word here, that's the idea here. So my eager expectation and hope, working at VMware, being a pastor, whatever, my eager expectation and hope is that Christ will be magnified, glorified, made much of in my body, whether by life or by death. <coughs> now that's Paul's way of getting on board with Colossians 1, 15, 16. Right? Colossians 1, 16 says, Paul was created through and for Christ. And Paul says, right. So my eager expectation and hope is that Christ would be magnified in my body whether I live or whether I die. So by body, he simply means my bodily life. You've got a body. You, you have a body. Your body moves through the world. It does things. It smiles. It embraces. It works hard. It thinks. It feels. It moves. It, it does things. And he's saying, in my bodily life, morning till night, everything I do, eat, drink, work on a computer, my bodily life is supposed to magnify Christ, live or die. So that's the first step. Paul is linking in to Colossians 1, 16. He's made for the glory of Christ, so he says, and I hope you say, my eager expectation, my hope, morning to night. You get up in the morning and say, hallowed be your name in my life. The Lord's Prayer is a, is a good prayer. <laughs> Jesus taught it. And petition number one is, make your name hallowed in and through my life. Hallowed, sanctified, set apart as supremely valuable. Hallow your name in my life today. Through my life, make your name hallowed, cherished, loved, honored in my life. Now, Paul considers two conditions in which that might happen. Life and death, right? Verse 20. That Christ will be honored, magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. Or you could generalize and say, in the case things go really well and I live, or things go really badly and I die, which happened to Paul. He got 
beheaded in Rome, whether things go well and I live or, or go poorly and I die, in either case, I want Christ to look great either way. If I live and minister, that's for the making him look great. If I die, I hope as the, as the sword comes down, there's a countenance to my face and a confidence in my heart that makes everybody around me watching my beheading say, Christ is great. what it's for. That's what martyrdom is for. Now let's go to chapter 4, okay? Philippians chapter 4 uh, verses 11 to 13. The situation is that Paul has received a gift from the Philippians through Epaphroditus. It's evidently quite a generous gift to help him because he's like desiring God. He's a, he depends on people's generosity to eat, although he, he could make tents and we don't make tents. We used to make tents. We used to sell books, but we don't do that anymore. And his, here's the interesting thing. He gets this gift, and he says that he's thrilled. He says, thankful to high heaven. Thank you for your gift. He rejoiced greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. And then... To avoid the impression that he's in it for the money, this is what he says. Start at verse 11. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Now we've got contentment. Okay? That's my second thing. First, first was the big, big center of magnifying Christ. Now we're, we're moving into the second center of contentment or human gladness or joy or satisfaction. I have learned to be content in the verse 11. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low. And I know how to live in Silicon Valley. One, one of the reasons I chose this text. This is, I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance, and need. I can do all things, all these things, through him who strengthens me. So here we've shifted issues. He's not explicitly talking about the glory of Christ. He's talking about his happiness, his contentment. I've learned how to be content. That's the issue. Now notice the similarity and dissimilarity between the way he talks about this and what we saw in chapter 1. Let me draw out the similarity and then the dissimilarity. The, the similarity is that he has in view two, situ, two kinds of situation in which he might be content. One, be brought low. The other, abound. Hunger and plenty. Abundance and need. And I'm saying that's similar to I want Christ to be magnified in my body whether I live or whether I die. Whether things go well for me and I have an abundance and all's well, I can make it to Spain, my ministry prospers, or it goes badly and Nero turns on me, chops my head off, which is in fact what happened. But either way, he says, 
Things go well, things go bad, things end in life, things end in death, Christ magnified. And chapter 4 is, things go well, things go bad, happy. Got it? You see the pattern, the, the similarity that I'm seeing is the structure of, in either case, life or death, happy, I mean, good, good, good or, or easy or hard, God is glorified and I am happy. That's the, that's the similarity. Now, the, the dissimilarity is that he's talking about magnifying Christ in one case and being happy in the other. So I want Christ to be magnified whether I live or die, and I am content whether I live or die, or whether I prosper or am, am hungry and poor. So in the best and worst of times, Christ is magnified in my life. In the best and worst of times, I'm content in my life. Now my question is, do they have, what's the secret of those two? What's the secret of Christ being magnified? Life or death? The secret of, of my soul being satisfied? Life or death? Are they the same? Possibly. What's the secret of being... Let's start with the content part. What's the secret of being content? <laughs> you might say, huh, you don't need a secret, do you, to be content? when everything's going well. Like if I said, have you learned the secret of how to be happy when you're healthy and when you have all the money you want, all the relationships are working? That's a really weird thing to experience happiness at that time. What's the secret? You'd say, that takes no secret. Everybody's happy. Everybody's happy when they have all the health they want, all the relationships they want, all the food they want, all the money they want, perfect job, that takes no secret. And Paul says, yes, it does. Yes, it does. Which is why this message is for you, right? Really for all Americans. We're all rich in America. The poorest are rich, comparatively speaking. So we're all in this together in saying, you, you say, Paul, that there's a secret to be learned. Look at chapter Chapter 4, verse 12, middle of the verse. I have learned the secret of facing plenty. Okay, I want to know what that is. Because the world would say, you don't need a secret to be content in plenty. It's just a given. And Paul, Paul you shake his head, you don't know what I'm talking about. You're not with me. So what's the, the secret? Paul has in mind, evidently, a different kind of contentment in plenty than the world has. And it's obvious that he does because Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 says, 
I rejoiced in the Lord greatly when you sent your gift to me. Oh, and chapter 4, verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Or chapter 3, verse 1, finally, brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Okay, oh, so Paul's joy, gladness, contentment, when he has plenty, isn't in the plenty, right? It's, it's not in the plenty. That takes some kind of special secret. How does that happen? If you have plenty, and you are in fact thanking the people who sent you the plenty, and your joy is so free from the plenty, that if you took the plenty away, you'd be just as happy. Your contentment would be unshakable. Because that's, that's what he's saying. I've learned how to be content in abundance and in being brought low, in plenty and hunger. My contentment is free from my circumstantial riches or poverty. And it takes a secret. Now, most of us would feel you know, it takes a real special work of God to make you content when you've lost your house and lost your marriage and lost your health. That's a miracle. And Paul would say, just as great a miracle if you're content in plenty in Jesus. Because he says, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, not in the plenty, the plenty, the plenty. This, this takes as much, I would dare say maybe, a greater miracle to be content in Jesus in plenty than in They both, has, they both have huge challenges to faith, right? Huge challenges to make us find our contentment elsewhere but in Jesus. Which is why verse 13, by the way, is utterly crucial. He, he finishes, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things. Now that, I remember I used to, I used to quote this verse as a kid, as a teenager. Thinking, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that was before a softball game. You know, like, we're going to win. We're going to win. And really the text means, no, you're going to lose. You're going to lose with contentment and joy and, and love because that's the miracle you want to live by. Anybody can be happy when they're winning. Only miracles rejoice in losing. And so when it says here, I can do all these things, the hard and the easy, through him who strengthens me, it's saying it's a miracle. I mean, this is a supernatural work of God. Through him who strengthens me, that's Jesus. Only by the miracle working power of Jesus can you rejoice in plenty in Jesus and not the plenty. That's a miracle. You get this Gift on Christmas that you've been wanting. Look at this. That's, a, that's an Apple Watch. <laughs> I, I was given this Apple Watch two weeks ago, out of the blue, by the T for G, together with the gospel leaders. I'm still trying to figure out whether it's worth it. I mean, it didn't cost me anything. But I look, I, I look, they gave me this box. It looks like a sausage, you know, the way it comes. A big box like this. Typical Apple packaging. And I, I thought... Are you kidding me? They just gave me a... How much does this cost? 
This is a new one. Five series five. What does this cost? Three, four, five. Okay, that's a lot of money. I, I would never pay that for a watch. That's ridiculous. <laughs> a watch. I pay nineteen ninety five at Walmart. I have a phone. The phone does everything you need to do, right? So you don't need it on your own. But anyway, all that to say, I get this gift, and I'm, I like the gift. Now, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that happens if I really like it, and I'm not rejoicing in it in any way that competes with my contentment in Jesus, so that if you ripped it off my arm right now and stomped it in the ground, my contentment in Jesus would be unaffected. That would be, I mean, a teeny little example because we're talking about people ripping off your arms and your legs and your, your head, not just your, your watch in, in this world. I mean, if you live today in Nigeria or Burkina Faso or, or Iraq. So, verse 13 really is important because being content in abundance and in... Um, Misery is a miracle. It's a, through him who strengthens me. So my question is, what's the secret? So Paul, you say you've learned the secret to be content, and you've pointed me to the secret by saying, my joy is not in the plenty, it's in Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord. What's the secret for that happening? And it's found in chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. It goes like this. Whatever gain I had, so watch, health, marriage, job, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. So here's, here's my answer. Um, when he says, I count everything as loss, now this would be the plenty. Okay, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. What's the secret of facing plenty? Counting the plenty as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. So my, my agenda in coming to, to the Silicon Valley, to the Bay Area, is to be a little instrument, maybe, by grace. I prayed this this morning. An instrument by grace for you to value Jesus like that. That's your only hope of not putting your heart in the plenty that you all have. It's not a sin to make a lot of money. It is sin to love a lot of money and keep a lot of money. And the challenge of all of us in plenty and hunger is the secret. And the secret is rejoice in Jesus. But the secret of rejoicing in Jesus is seeing Jesus and feeling Jesus as supremely valuable. More valuable than your reputation. More valuable than your job. More valuable than your, your wife or your, your husband. More valuable than your children. More valuable than your health. More valuable than life. 
Psalm 63.3, the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Now, key question. Is that secret the same as the secret of chapter 1, verse 20? Where he says, I want Christ to be magnified in my body, whether I live or if I die. I've already seen that the secret of contentment in living and dying, plenty and hunger, the secret of contentment is to see Jesus and feel Jesus and know Jesus as supremely valuable over everything in the world. Is that the same in chapter 1, verse 20? I probably wouldn't be preaching this message unless you knew that I think so. And you can see it. Let's just go back to 120. You can see it by just adding verse 21, and you see the logic. It is my eager expectation and hope that Christ will be honored, magnified, in my body, whether by life or by death. For, he's going to give a basis and an explanation for what he just said. For, to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Well, let's simplify down just to... Uh, the death part. Christ will be magnified in my body by death, for to me to die is gain. Are you with me in that? Is that a, is that a fair... I'm, I'm just leaving out the life piece. Okay, it's got life and death, but I'm just choosing the death half. Christ will be magnified in my body by death for, verse 21, to me to die is gain. Now, how does that work? Why is the experiencing of death as gain make Jesus look magnificent? And the answer is given in verse 23. I am hard-pressed between the two, life and death. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. That's why it's gain. Death is gain because to die is to be with Christ, which is far better. Far better than what? Far better than... Everything this world has to give. So, it's the same, isn't it? It's the same. The secret is the same to being content in life and death and Christ being magnified in life and death because the secret here is Christ is so superior to everything this world has to give and he's so there and present for me on the other side of the grave that if I die, I gain Christ, which means I'm free from depending on the things in this world. Now this to me, I mean, seeing this, this is what I preached all my life. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. And now here it is, I'm seeing at age 74 something I've never seen before, namely that this structure of thought in chapter 4 of the secret of contentment in plenty and in um, hunger, the logic of that contentment Namely, finding Christ supremely satisfying in 3.8 enables me to have a contentment that if I have much, my contentment's in Christ. If I have a little, my contentment's in Christ. And then you go over to see the, the logic of how is Christ magnified if I'm experiencing hardship and then death or experiencing prosperity and life? How is Christ magnified? Answer, to live as Christ and to die is gain, gain. Gain meaning more gladness in Jesus because there's more intimacy with him in heaven when I die. Which leads only last 
the last question, remember the title was, no, you don't remember, but I'll tell you. The title was um, Magnifying uh, Christ, uh, Christ Magnifying Contentment as the Path to Costly Love. And costly love is found in chapter 2 where it says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. How do you do that? Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And the only, the only answer is that that selfish ambition has to be severed, and it's severed by this same secret. Namely, I'm so satisfied in Jesus when things are hard, and so satisfied in Jesus when things are easy and prosperous that I'm not driven by my own cravings and selfish needs anymore. Jesus has freed me, cut the nerve of all that selfishness, and set me free for love. So, your ultimate purpose for existence, whether you work here or somewhere else, is to make much of Christ, his beauty, his value, his greatness. And you do that by treasuring him above all things, 3.8, and you discover that when you do that, um, it is the key to your unshakable contentment and your costly love. Thank you for listening to this resource from DesiringGod.org. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy and share from thousands of resources on our site, including books, sermons, articles, and more, available free of charge. DesiringGod.org exists to help you treasure Jesus more than anything else, because God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him.